Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yordana Ozpan, here with my friend, Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Shkalim, daf hey. And now we are actually starting a parak bet of Shkalim. And I think what you're going to see is that the pace of this Masachat is pretty quick. In other words, it's really going to be Mishnah with a little bit of Gemara. And, you know, Anne and I, when we were thinking about how to structure the podcast of this, um, I think we felt very strongly that really reading the Mishnah is sort of key on each stop, because if we don't have a good understanding of the Mishnah, um, the Gemara doesn't flow as well. Um, and so we may be, um, you know, I think one of the challenges of doing a Dafyomi podcast is sort of seeing how each Masachet may take on its own shape for the podcast. And at least for now, with the prepping that we've done, I think this actually may be a little bit more Mishnah oriented with some more discussion outside of the Daf or out, you know, outside of the actual words of the Daf of what the Gemara then contributes to the Mishnah itself. Um, so we'll start with this again, rather long Mishnah. So the Mishnah um, is going to describe here what happens to basically the Shkalim of people who lived in towns and cities uh, that were outside of Yerushalayim. So as we can imagine, having to schlep all of those half shekel coins would probably get pretty heavy, right? So if you think about it, like, you know, when you go to the bank, with all of your quarters, nickels, um, and pennies. Well, I guess, Anne, you don't do that as you live in Israel, right? But you exchange them basically for paper bills because it, you know, weighs uh, much less. So the Mishnah starts off by saying, So you're allowed to combine all of these half shekels, right? And remember, this half shekel coin, you would take all of them, and then you can make them into darko notes because of the Masui Hader, right? That in other words, it just is going to be um, too heavy to have to carry all of those coins up to Yerushalayim. And the Darko note were some type of gold, um, was some type of gold coin. Then the Gemara goes, the Mishnah, excuse me, goes on to sell. So there were these collection chests, that's what the Shofar wrote are, that were used for the Shkalim that were set up in the Beit HaMikdash. And there actually will be more um, uh, detail about that later on in the Masachet. So there also were these chests that were set up in all of the communities, basically, um, also to collect the to collect the Shkalim. Then the Mishnah goes on to an interesting discussion, which is what happens if a town collects all of its, you know, half shekels and something happens to the shekels and they get lost, right? So we could imagine how that could happen, right? So a whole group of townspeople, right, they send their shekels uh, to the Beit HaMikdash, and this would be done, you know, using a messenger because they didn't have, uh, you know, the postal service the way we do now. The Nikva'u or She'abdu, right? And let's say the coins get stolen or they get lost from these messengers while they're on their way. What happens? If the truma has already, already been withdrawn. So in other words, what we know is, is that they started collecting the shekel uh, this half shekel on Adar Aleph, right? The first time that they would, and so basically the first month of Adar, right? You start having trickling in all of the actual donations themselves, right? Um, and then the first drawing out of the shekels was on Nisan, was on the first of Nisan. But we learned already, not everybody shekel got to the Beit HaMikdash by the first of Nisan. So here we're talking about a case, right? So the case here the mission is talking about is, is okay. A town sends their shekels, right? And it something happened. It either got lost or got stolen, all of those shekels. You know, what, what happens then? What's the responsibility of the messengers 
What's the responsibility of the townspeople? And so the demarcation they're going to make here, right, is whether or not that first truma, whether or not that first taking out of the shekel that had already arrived at the Beit HaMikdash, whether that had already been withdrawn before this loss or this theft actually occurred. So in Mitrama had truma, right, if the truma had already been withdrawn, Nishba'in lagzbarim. So the messengers have to swear basically um, to the um, to the temple treasurers. And again, later on um, in Parakim, we're going to have many more details about how this was actually done, how the, you know, the Trumas Halishka, how it was, was actually taken out was done. But, um, and again, as we talked about, it was done three times a year before Pesach, before Shavuot and before Sukkot, right? But here, what we're saying is, is that if it was done before the one of Nisan, right? While they were on their way to deliver it, okay? You know, what basically happens? These messengers basically have to swear. They have to take a shvua um, before the uh, treasurers, you know, that they didn't, they themselves did not actually take it. V'im lab, but if it wasn't before the truma was taken, nishba'im libunei ha'ir. Then the messengers need to swear to the townspeople, right? And so sort of what the mission is basically setting up is, is that before the first trumat ha'lishkat takes place, before that first withdrawal of the shekel takes place, in a certain way, the shekel still belongs to the townspeople. But once that first taking of the shekel takes place, all the shekels that have been designated for Machatzita shekel, no matter where they are, whether they're physically in the temple treasury or whether they are, you know, um, you know, still en route, now really sort of belong to the temple itself. And that's why the messengers would have to swear to the actual temple treasurers. And what else would happen? Right, Ha'ir shall shall clean Tachtan, and it's interesting. The townspeople actually have to contribute new shekels instead, right? Because, um, um, you know, because it, again, this is if it happened after before the truma was taken. Because if it was before the truma was taken, it's still considered like those coins belong to the townspeople and not to the temple, and therefore it's like the townspeople actually didn't give. They're machatzira shekel, and that's why they have to do replacement ones. Now, next case. Let's say the missing shekels are found or the thieves return them. Both of those are still considered to be shkalim. It's not like you say, oh, we're only going to do one. Because in other words, once those coins have been consecrated to be temple property, they're consecrated basically to be temple property. And you're not allowed to credit them for the townspeople for the coming year. So I was a little bit struck by how, you know, sort of strict this is. Like, we really don't give the townspeople a break. Like, it totally would not have been their fault, right? This was something out of their control that it got stolen or it gets lost. And yet they're really responsible uh, for having to sort of give this over twice, even if uh, and even if it's found, uh, it doesn't um, it doesn't help them in any way. Both of them really belong to the temple itself, and the, the townspeople don't actually get um, any more credit. So the Gemara here, I just want to point out a couple of things that I'm not going to read inside because it's too much to read inside. Um, but one thing that I thought was interesting is they begin with a discussion of why do gold coins? In other words, why not do pearls? Or why not do gems? And one of the things that they talk about here is that gems basically, again, have too much variation in what they're actually worth. And I think that's a theme that we saw that we at least I talked about the other day as well, which is that one of the challenges of Mahatsira Shekel is, is that the currency has to have an eternal value. 
And we know that objects don't have an internal value, right? Gold can be worth more, silver can be worth more, ruby can be worth more or less, like things do fluctuate in value. And so part of what they're trying to do here is to keep things as fixed as possible. And that's why it has to be gold and it's not actually allowed to be, you know, a pearl or some other type of gem. Another issue that the Gemara then gets into when discussing this Mishnah is the idea of having to make a shvuah, right? Like, are you really, do you make an oath on something that actually belongs to the temple? And one of the things that comes out here is that maybe you actually don't need to really make an oath, right? That you wouldn't really have to, but that really this was, uh, this was actually rabbinic, right? The rabbis essentially made a decision that people needed to make a shvuah, right? Because so therefore the people who are guarding the shkalim will actually treat it very, very seriously under threat of knowing that if something were to happen to it, that it got lost or it got stolen, they actually were going to have to make the shvuah um, or the townspeople would actually have to sort of, you know, bear the loss of what happened and they would actually have to like replace it. And so therefore this was sort of a way of making sure that everybody took it um, very seriously. And, but there was one interesting piece here um, that I wanted to meet to read about where they sort of end up of, of explaining what exactly is going on uh, with these, um, uh, you know, uh, with these um, messengers, because one of the questions about the messengers is, are they free mess, you know, were they watching it for free or are they considered to be paid? Because if they were a Shomer Chinam, and again, these are terms that we're going to get much more into when we get to the Bubba's, right? Um, you know, but if they were free, what, you know, if they watch it for free, they shouldn't have to take a shvua at all. So then the question is, do we consider them that they were getting paid? And maybe that's why they have to take a shvua. So it was interesting to sort of see them put that category on the messengers themselves. And so the Gemara says, Nishpaim ha'ir gizbarim. So one of the ex- one of the ways they want to understand the, the Mishnah here is that if it is, ap- you know, if if the truma was already drawn, then actually what these messengers had to do is, is they would have to swear to the town's people, like the people who live in this town, in front of the treasurers, right? And so the question is, well, why do the treasurers need to be there? right? Because we don't want to suspect these messengers, basically, of having maybe stolen the coins or, you know, something. Right? Or we want the treasurers to be there so that they also, you know, nobody starts to suspect that maybe the messengers were sort of negligent or, you know, they weren't really careful uh, with their guarding. And so I thought this third interpretation of the Mishnah was interesting that it presents because it's sort of bringing all of the groups together, right? The way when we initially read the Mishnah, you know, the messenger is sort of the in-between of the townsfolk who actually give the shekel to getting it to the people in the treasury who accept it. And depending on whether or not that truma has been withdrawn or not drawn, the messengers have different responsibilities either to the treasurer or they have a responsibility to the townsfolk. And only having responsibility to the townsfolk before the truma withdrawn, that makes a lot of sense that's in the Mishnah. But the idea that they only had to swear to the treasurers even after the truma was drawn didn't totally make sense when you read that Mishnah because, wait, they're still responsible responsible to the townspeople, right? Like they didn't deliver on what they said they were going to. And so I like how the Gemara here says, no, it's really that they're swearing in front of both of them. Because once that first truma is with is withdrawn, 
they didn't fulfill a responsibility to both, right? They didn't get the machatzida shekel delivered from the townspeople, right? And um, to, from the townspeople, so they have to swear in front of them. And they need to swear in front of the treasurer, treasurers so that they don't really suspect them of sort of being negligent or that they weren't careful enough in actually transporting it. And, you know, and from a practical point of view, it's just interesting to see, you know, how did this whole system work and that it really was dependent sort of on literally having human beings like we don't deliver things that way. Right. We I mean, obviously, a human delivers your packages, but, you know, we sort of entrust it to just a random person. You know, you go to the post office, you use UPS, whatever it is. And here you sort of get a sense that there was a little bit more of a much more personal connection, right? Like, I'm sure it was probably a big honor to be one of these people who had to bring it to the Beit Dash. And what happens when that system doesn't actually work? I find the whole thing, um, again, so detailed, drawn out in such detail, again, that I think that we're not generally accustomed to finding both in the Mishnah and I think even also this Yerushalmi, right? I think the Yerushalmi is often considered to be much more terse than the Bavli, in part because it was, you know, not refined as much, not as, you know, where there's less editing going on, so they don't, you don't figure out exactly how much more needs to be said or whatever. And I think that here in our experience, even in just these couple of days, we've already seen where the Gemara is more terse, but this Mishnah gives us so much detail. It's really, you know, and, and so many different possible cases and so on. I, I think it's really very interesting. Um, and I also wanted to say that I think that the that for all that this sounds like a, a phenomenon of mamano, right? Like um, a monetary issue, right? Like a loan and a shaliach and all of these kinds of terms. You're Daniel, like you said, the, we're going to get to the bavas, right? Those gemars of nizikin, of damages and so on, civil law. Um, I find that there's an another element here which pops up sometimes, which we're going to see a little bit more here now in the part I'm going to talk about, which is that because it's connected to the temple and we're talking what amounts to being uh, consecrated monies, right? It's hectic. Um, I don't know if it's hectic. We'll have to see exactly where and where, but all of it is about materials that are collected for the Beit HaMikdash, which is an added component and which can... <coughs> um, it, it can throw off what we might assume to be the givens in terms of responsibility, pecuniary responsibility in this, you know, in these kinds of cases. Right. And I think that's exactly the point. Normally, if somebody was in charge of your item and they lost it, they would actually be responsible to pay it back to you. Obviously, a messenger who's bringing, you know, hundreds or thousands of half shekels cannot be responsible to repay that. But yet at the same time, the people who donated the Machatzida Shekel, if it, you know, didn't, if, if it was even before the Trumat Halishka, they, they are actually responsible to, to, to pay it again. And, and I think that shows you that tension. This isn't just a donation of a regular item. This is a fulfillment of a do-raisa, of a mitzvah, of a halachic obligation to make this contribu- contribution each and every year to the temple itself. Right. I'm also reminded of the there's a distinction, right, between a donation that is in a dava and a donation that's a neder, where one is where you commit to the value and one is where you commit to the specifics, right? That this dollar bill, this these this coinage. And then, and the practical difference, of course, is exactly this case, right? Because if the coinage disappears and that was your promise, then, then it's a shame, but you aren't obligated to redo it. 
Whereas in this case, because you're also talking about the value, it's not the it's not the specific coin that matters per se. So you have to do it again. Um, okay, I'm going to jump to the second Mishnah here, Halacha Bet, as it's called. Um, and this half of the daf is actually much shorter. Both, uh, not the Mishnah. The Mishnah is no, both the mission is shorter and also the Gemara. Um, and, and again, this case is, it has details that we're going to see that are specifically because of the phenomenon of it being truma, of, of it going to the Beit HaMikdash. Now, what we're talking about here is we're moving on to talk about a Shalia. Well, I mean, I guess the Gemara you're doing that you just described talked about the Shalia. This is also going to be the focus of this Mishnah. Somebody gives his money, right? You give your money to, you know, your friend or the next guy over to make that contribution, right? And instead, instead he pays it for himself, right? Which is not nice, but this is the scenario, right? So if this, um, if at the time, right, that he's already put this, the shekel into the, where they're collecting it at that time um, was the time that it's being collected. Then he's guilty of meila, which is we'll call it misuse, which is a very gentle term, much more gentle, I think, than meila itself. A misuse of consecrated property, meaning I would usually, I think that I usually say desecration of consecrated property, right? Because the moment you've done meila, right, you can't. It's very hard to mess with it. It's it's more than theft, right? Because you have you have misused, you have in some way, or let's say it this way, by misusing the property that has been consecrated, that is a desecration and that is the mark against you. Um, so if you've, if you basically have used a shaliach, if you've used somebody your, as your agent to give in that money, right? Now that person who's using your money to, on his own behalf is getting benefit from something that was supposed to be truma, that something's supposed to be consecrated. And that is me'ila, meaning that is the misuse. It's not just that there's a miscommunication or a intentional, you know, not carrying out of your wishes. It's also because of his own handling of this money, which is, you know, never really in his own name. So again, now we have a, it's a different case. One who collects the shekel from hektesh or gives his truma, gives his donation. Um, in the case, okay, somebody who has mistakenly contributed his shkelem from the money that was already collected, right? So now that's not how you're supposed to pay your, your machazita shekel. You're supposed to pay machazita shekel from your own pocket, not from something that has already, already been dedicated to the Beit HaMikdash. And so doing so, if we were you to use that that money for your machatzitza shekel, you are vi- violating me'ila. You are, again, you are desecrating that consecrated property by virtue of your misuse of it, even though it's unintentional, right? Meaning, in and this is a, another area, I guess, where we would say the difference between regular uh, monetary issues where we would say, well, you didn't mean to, so there's a way to go back. Right? There's no, if there's no malice, if there's no intent, we can undo the transaction. Once it comes to me'ila, when, when hektesh has been misused, there is no going back. It is an inherent desecration, even though the person's intent in this case was not there at all. Um, okay, so if in all of these cases, 
um, that, I, you know, the where the use was for something other than the original um, dedication. That's Me'ila. And then, So this is an interesting uh, caveat, I would say. Right? If you've given your shekel, machatzita shekel, for money that was not quite dedicated to the temple, but rather was a money that you used to re- redeem your own uh, Maser Shani, or likewise from the money that you had gained from, let's say you were able to sell, sell a certain amount of produce that's dur- grown during the Shemitah year, and you're not really supposed to um, benefit monetarily from Shemitah, but in any case, it's a certain amount of monetary um, intake, I would say, that you can get. So in that case, you could eat, now you can eat non-hectish, you could eat you can eat with fruits, let's say, food that you've purchased using that money, which would be the amount of the shekel that you were supposed to give in is machatzita shekel. Meaning, if what you've done is use your machatzita shekel, if you've used machatzita, if you've used this kind of money, namely Master Shani, or the Shemitah money, for machatzita shekel, that those funds are not supposed to be where you take your machatzita shekel from. But it's not as severe a violation. It's not as severe a disgrace as some of the other trumot, some of the other donations that your money could have been used for. So all of this, I think, again, it sets up these, um, I would say that the, the basic lines of how we handle money change dramatically once we're talking about hektesh once we're talking about gifts to the Beit HaMikdash, as opposed to any other kind of, and you know, in this Mishnah, any other kind of shaliach situation or any kind of error that a person might make, the consequences here are much more severe. Yeah, so I think this, again, introduces a whole other element, right? The same way that, in a way, it's kind of an inverse of the Mishnah that I read, the same way that the townsfolk are still, I know I keep calling them townsfolk, uh, are still um, responsible for paying something that they paid already, but it just didn't get delivered. So they need to make sure it got delivered. Here we have where somebody was supposed to do something on your behalf and they're responsible for misusing, you know, temple property. And again, I think this just emphasizes, you know, if I, this is, this is not a regular money business transaction that's happening here. And so the economy or payment or whatever is due, you know, the tax, whatever you want to call it, that we have to give to the temple um, is very different uh, and is treated differently as a different type of property than properties when we are going to learn later on in the DAP of just, you know, you borrowed something, you watched something, you damaged something. There's a whole other level to it. And I think we really saw that today. Right. So I just want to finish up with the, some of the Gemara here. I, I'm not actually going to read most of the Gemara inside, but one of the things that I find is interesting is that the Gemara goes on to establish cases that are much more stringent or much more extreme than those presented in the Mishnah, right? Like if the Gemara is going to build on the Mishnah, in this case, that's what it does. What happens if somebody had intent? What happens if there's actual you know, um, manipulation with intent to take over the money that you were supposed to have given, your machetzita shekel that you were supposed to have given you know, in the right way. Um, you know, what happens if uh, somebody steals your korban, right? Meaning, again, these things are clearly not supposed to happen. And I think that's also part of why it becomes that much, that much more atrocious when it happens within the parameters of the donations to the temple, the same way we would be horrified nowadays. If somebody steals from a charity, that's 
that feels worse than if somebody steals just, you know, regular money, right? Um, and likewise, we say, you know, anybody who's involved in the holy, the holy anything, if they're caught doing the wrong thing, it's that much worse because that is the parameters that they're supposed to be functioning in. The Gemara here, and this is the one piece of the Gemara that I wanted to see inside, does get into this question of how does that Shaliyah get actually get any benefit from the fact that he has taken, again, from the first case of the Mishnah that I read, that if you have, um, you, you give your machetzita shekel to a Shaliyah, and the Shaliyah gives it over in his own name as opposed to in your name. And then the concern is that he's getting benefit, and that's Me'ilah. Well, what's the benefit, right? Meaning he's just, you know, are we talking about theft from the fact of it being machetzita shekel, or is there something beyond that? Because we're presumably, or at least the Gemara here thinks there's something beyond that, because otherwise you wouldn't call it hana'a, you wouldn't call it benefit, you would just call it, he, he paid his machatzit shekha, right? So the Gemara says, what, in what way did he benefit? So we spoke, I think it was yesterday, I guess it had to be yesterday, um, maybe two days ago, about um, the fact that the Kohanim were not obligated to pay a collateral. They were not ab- uh, a premium on top of the, neither collateral nor premium, right? The, the Kohanim themselves, they are obligated machatzita shekel, but not the extra, the extra that the, everybody else had to pay. Okay, so the, the case here, right? We spoke about it the other day about where somebody, um, if they haven't paid up, the court can come after them for collateral. Right to say, well, until you pay up, we're going to take thus and such from you until you pay your machatzita shekel. So the fact that this guy has used your money to pay his machatzita shekel, besides the fact that it might put you in trouble, what he benefits from is that the it's not he he has to pay his own, he always had to pay his own machatzita shekel. So that phenomenon is not the benefit. The benefit is the fact that at this moment in time he is not subject to collateral because he's paid up, right? And since the court can the can't has no reason to come after him for a collateral then then he's benefit benefited and that benefit is the meila meaning in the case that he has used your property for his own gain um he's it's bought him time fundamentally um okay that's it meaning the, it's a small piece of gemara on a on a pretty straightforward halachic mishnah yeah i agree it is straightforward but it is interesting to see that they the Gemara needs to account for what benefit did he get? Because that is an inherent piece of Me'ila. Like there has to be a benefit to the person who, who, who does that particular sin. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about our beginnings of Shkalim and very specifically what happens with the transfer of the funds here. Um, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank <music> you.